0: If I were to ask you, what marks your children as yours, I wonder what you would say. Or if you don't have kids, what is it that you got from your parents? Is it it temperament? Is it their personality? Is it their looks? I remember my sisters would do something exactly the way my mom would do something, and they would stop themselves and say... I'm turning into mom. I'm not, sure if, I'm not sure if that was always a positive thing. Um, but there are marks that are left on children by parents. And I don't just mean on the backsides. Just as this is true of our earthly parents, it's even more true of our Heavenly Father. Uh, First John has been a sort of spiritual checkup for us. For those of you who've been here with us for the last few weeks and and, and we're being asked if we have this great appreciation for Christ, do we want to walk like Him? Do we want to love like Him? Do we want to live like Him? And if we do, we rejoice because we have this assurance that, that He is with us and that we will have eternal life with Him. And if we are struggling with some areas, then we are being pressed back into Christ. We're being challenged to go back to Him and understand Him. And today we're being reminded again of who we are. Because you see, who we are, how we identify ourselves, it it, it determines how we think, how we act, how we speak, and, and even how we feel. And we're looking at the marks of being God's children, and then we're going to look at the fruit of being God's children. So the two things, the roots and the fruits, the, the privileges and the responsibilities. What does it mean to be the children of God? I've heard people say, all people are God's children, me- meaning all of mankind are, are the children of God. I mean, even President Reagan used to say this Um, several times during his remarks. And as nice as that sounds as a soundbite, it's not true. Jesus says, of those who do not put their trust in Him, you are from another family. You are of the devil. It's like we said last week. Antichrist is anyone who is anti- Christ. And at the end of this section we're looking at, John says, there are two groups, the children of God and the children of the devil. We are all image bearers of God, that is true, but only those who have put their trust in the Son have the privilege of being called the children of God. So what are the marks of of being God's children. What are those marks? First of all, we are loved. If you've got your Bibles, and you turn to 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, and in there we read, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. We wouldn't be God's children if He didn't love us. We are adopted as sons and daughters. And it reminds me of the story of um, the boy who is uh, adopted and he's in the playground playing and, and the other kids are mocking him because he is adopted. And finally he stops them and he says, you know, your parents didn't have any choice in the matter. They just got what they had. But my parents chose me, leveling them with such a truth. And that's true of us in a sense, that that we are chosen, we we are adopted, not because we're cute or funny or anything inside us that is uh, appealing to God, but because of His great love, He sets His love on His people. He sends His Son to win His people. And John says, what a love this is, that we would be called Children of God. I interviewed a a friend of mine in Australia for my podcast uh, last week, and he was sharing with me when he was young. In Australia, uh, in New South Wales, the state where Sydney is, um, it's still legal to teach scripture in schools, uh, to public schools and different schools, and I I had a great privilege of doing that while I was there. And this um, friend of mine who I was interviewing, He did not grow up a Christian, wasn't in a Christian home, but he took the Scripture in school class. And he was saying, coming from that non-Christian family, the Scripture teacher was helping him to understand who Christ was and what Christianity was and what it looked like. And he kept raising these really difficult questions for her to kind of battle with and deal with. And she answered as best she could, but then she said, you know what, John, it's okay for you to have doubts. It's okay for you to have these questions. The, the Christian faith can handle these questions. But, she said, I want you to remember the cross when you have these questions. I want you to take these questions as if you are standing before the cross and laying them there. Not as a way to shut him up. But, but that was her way of saying, whenever you're asking why you're going through some suffering. Or, or, or why something happened the way that it happened. Remember that Christ, the Son of God, who existed from the beginning, re- remembering that He came not in luxury and grandeur, riding on a horse, or born into a, a, a castle, but but born lowly and, 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 and in poverty, and then died the death of a criminal that He did not deserve. He did all that so that we could have relationship with Him, so that we can approach Him, so that we can... Know Him. A love that knows no boundaries. It certainly changes your perspective when you come with those questions, which again are fine, but then you remember what Christ has done for you, what God has done in His sending of His Son for us. and It's almost as if those concerns and those worries seem to kind of disappear a little bit. The maker of the universe is a father, and a father To his children, J.I. Packer says, Adoption into God's family is even greater than forgiveness. Any judge can hand down forgiveness or, 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 or acquittal. But what judge will bring home the defendant to his family forever? All because of the love of God. And we'll look more at this massive issue of love uh, in two weeks for chapter 3 and chapter 4 the week after that. So we have love, marks of being a child of God. Second, we have rebirth, verse 29 of chapter 2. Everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Twice in chapter 3, verse 9, he uses this phrase, born of him, born of him. Also in verse nine of chapter three, God's seed abides in the children of God. The difference between a human adoption and and, a, and the spiritual one is that the seed of the parents are not in the adopted children in the earthly family, while God's seed is in us. Meaning His Word is in us, His Holy Spirit is in us. He puts His life into His children, and we are reborn. A Christian is not someone who just joins another club called church where we show up on game day and we walk in and we walk out. A Christian is a person who has been transformed inwardly. They are reborn and and you cannot have life without a birth. And you cannot have eternal life without a rebirth. It's like when Jesus is talking with Nicodemus and he's explaining this to him. And he says, You know, Nicodemus, you're a Pharisee. You read your Bible, you go to church, you pray your prayers, and yet you are not reborn. You're ticking all of your external boxes, but you have not been changed in your heart he wants to unsettle Nicodemus. It's quite a contrast to the way that he works with the Samaritan woman. And the Samaritan woman, she knows there's a gap between them. She's a Samaritan. She's a woman. He's a Jew. He's a man. There's a huge gap between them and she knows it. And so Jesus is building a bridge between the two. But with Nicodemus, he comes and says, we have so much in common. And Jesus has to say, no, we don't actually. I have to actually draw a line here for you to understand the chasm that is between us. You know, Nicodemus thinks he's comfortable where he is. And Jesus wants to unsettle him and make him uncomfortable, to make him aware of his spiritual situation. Because he thinks, if I just keep ticking my boxes of reading my Bible, going to church, praying my prayers, then I'm okay. Everything will be fine. And Jesus is saying to him, no, you are a dead man walking. You need to understand that you need a rebirth, a spiritual birth, where you come to that newness of life. And the only way that you get that is through Jesus. Believe in me. Believe that I am the only way to the Father. Believe that I am the only way to eternal life. Believe that I am bringing with me the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. And so we are loved We are reborn. Third, we are unknown to the world. Chapter 3, verse 1 The world does not know us. This is important. The great majority of people cannot see the privilege and the status of the believer, of the Christian. Think of your non Christian family and friends and how they think that you just go to church how they probably think that it's just a a thing that helps inform you on a couple of things, more information, or they think it's just an activity of some sort, or that religion is just you trying to be a better person, or it just gives you another friend group. You know, it's it's okay for you. It's good for you. They don't see the, the actual privilege and the status that we carry. They don't see the forgiveness, the the adoption, the future. They don't see the spiritual blessings or or the privilege of eternity. John says, don't expect the unbeliever to understand what has taken place. The unbeliever only has the physical eyes. They, They cannot see the spiritual riches. I have another friend from Australia who lives in Northern Ireland now, and he was away from the Lord for a good part of his life, Uh, got his girlfriend pregnant, then married her, then had another child, um, was alcoholic, addicted to pornography, uh, abusive, all terrible things. And then he came to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Uh, He had divorced his wife before that, came to the saving knowledge of Christ, and his life was completely transformed, completely changed. Uh, married a, a christian girl had 3 kids and his ex-wife looks at him and, and she doesn't get it she thinks he's either faking it or you know it's some sort of performance she, she she's seeing the outworking of it but she doesn't believe it because she's seeing with physical eyes she doesn't see that his whole life has actually been transformed uh, f- f- even eternally understanding that and we do not listen to the world If you are working in the world and you are not submitting yourself to God and you are not submitting yourself to the authority of the Word of God and putting yourself under that authority, if you are not listening to what God is saying to you about who you are in Him, then you will easily start to listen to what the world says to you about who you are. And you will want the world to say to you, you are successful. You are lovable. You are wonderful. And the world will never say it enough for you to feel it. There will only be a deeper craving for the world to tell you these things. Have you ever met someone who is satisfied with what the world thinks of them? No, it's a constantly trying to get more and more and the hunger is insatiable. And you almost work yourself to the point of exhaustion. But God says, when we trust in Christ, He says, you have come into my family, loved, reborn, greatly valued. And a lot of our problem today is that we don't really believe what God says. While we believe so much of what the world says to us. And so we keep looking for our significance and our security from the world. If Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God, was not known by the world, meaning they did not recognize him for who he was, who he is, then we can expect they will do the same for us. Uh, Michelangelo uh, did a sculpture of uh, Christ laid out on uh, Mary's lap. I think it's called Pieta. Someone who speaks Italian can correct me. And he was admiring the sculpture one day, and there were some visitors, I think, that looking at it, and he asked them about it you know, oh, do you know who did this? And they gave someone else's name. And he was so enraged that he went back. And still to this day, you can see it on the sash of Mary. It says, Michelangelo, whatever his last name, Bono something, did this, made this. He couldn't stand. And it, it, to me, it's mind-blowing. This is a, a, a what a great gift to, to the world. You're showing a, a reality that, that the Christ suffered and died and, and here's his mother. And these are real things that happened And yet the pride of life welled up within him. And he said, I want people to know that I did this. Instead of just saying, this is a gift to you to look and appreciate. How true that is for us as well. The fourth lesson, our destination is secure. Verse 2, we're now the children of God. True because of Christ and we will be like him. Not that we will become the Son of God, but in character we will be like Christ. It's it's so far beyond our, our understanding and our comprehension. And John says, I don't even have any secret information on this. We can't even imagine what it will look like that day. John says, what we will be has not yet been made known but we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Suddenly, the character and the resurrection life of the believer has been made complete. John Stott says, and it is enough for us to know that on the last day and through eternity, we shall be both with Christ and in character like Christ. Glorified bodies like His, and the character that we know we don't have now, we will have one day. All because God, who is good and loving and perfect, says so. And I think each of us longs for that day when our character will be completely conformed to His. Finally, as it relates to the marks of being God's children, we are changing. This hope, verse 3, makes us different. We purify ourselves. This does not mean that we save ourselves. It does not mean that we cleanse ourselves. What it means is that we are preparing ourselves. We prepare ourselves. It's as if we know where we are going. We know what that will look like, what it will be like. And there are certain things that are present which we know are going to be there. And so we have lost some interest in the things that we know are not going to be there. And there are certain things about the future that we do know are there, and we're learning to be interested in those things. So we're putting away with the things we know won't be there, and we're adding on the things we know will be there. And we're learning to be interested in those things, the things that really matter. Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, If you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are not, uh, sorry, set your minds on things that are above and not the things on this earth. So the way that you look at relationships, it's not about what can I get out of this relationship. It is about how can I help this person understand and see the truth of the gospel. Your mind is now after their eternal. Spirit, their eternal being. It, it's a thing above. It's not a thing on this earth. You care more for that than you care for anything else. There was a well-known insurance salesman who would go around and he would sort of go through all the information and, and, and make his uh, presentation. And then he would close all his books and he'd say, now I want to tell you something far more important. And he would share the gospel with them. And I think that's what John is telling us there are things that are more important that we now are seeing. Those are the five marks of being God's children. Second thing, in verses 4 to 10, we see the fruit, the fruit of being God's children. God is working in us, in His people, a brand new righteousness. And some of you will know this is true because you know in your own life there were certain things that marked your non-Christian days, which have sort of started to just slide away. There are probably one or two things that still hang around, but you wish that they would go away. But you're more interested, you're not interested in having those things be your Lord. It's 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 like Romans 7. It's the things that I, I don't want to do, I do. But the thing is that the desire in you is not there to have it. You don't want it to be your master. That is the change which God works in us. And so we need to handle these verses very carefully because several times John says the Christian does not continue on sinning. He says it twice in verse 6. He says it twice in verse 9. Christians do not keep sinning. What do we make of this? As a Christian, you think, well, do I do with these verses. <laughs> they don't align with me. And the unbeliever sees these and they think, well, this is just the hypocrisy of the church. They talk this talk, but I know what they are really like. And so we need to avoid, on the one hand, thinking that we can be sinless because we cannot. And we know that through the history of the church, there have people that have come in and they have claimed these things and they're unhelpful. But we also need to avoid the danger of saying that this verse is claiming too much and therefore rejecting this verse. So what does it mean? Let's look at verse 4. He says, we do, we need God's help because sin is breaking God's law. Sin is lawlessness. You may have seen sin as a little bit of harmless fun, but God sees it as you breaking His law. You can't come in and claim, you know, I didn't. I didn't break the law on Wednesday. I didn't break the law Monday and Tuesday, even though I broke it Wednesday. It's once you've broken it, you've broken it. And the penalty under God's law is death. Then, verse 5 Jesus came to bear our sins. In him there is no sin, but ours were placed on him. So he comes into the world to bear the sins which we have accrued. It's, it's, it's really staggering how many people can come into churches week after week after week and this never becomes clear to them. They think Jesus came to teach us some things about ourselves, teach us how to be better people, how to strive, that ultimately it's going to be about me. If I'm going to make it, if I'm going to enter the gates of heaven, then I have to do well. I think I've done well. And you find yourself standing at the mirror, looking at your performance, and it is hopeless. When we need to be looking out the window to the cross and see that he came to bear our sins. Then verse 6, when we live in Christ, we find ourselves in a new war with sin. Sin, which we thought at one time was a harmless activity, has now become a dangerous enemy. That's what John means when he says the one who abides or the, or the Christian uh, who abides does not keep sinning or does not continue to sin. It doesn't mean that it is impossible to sin now that you abide in him. We can all sin as soon as we walk out of these doors. In fact, some of us are probably sinning inside this building. He doesn't mean it is impossible. We know from chapter 1 that he says, if we say we have no sin, then the truth is not in us, and we deceive ourselves. What he is saying is that we cannot be at peace with sin and with Christ. We cannot hold both. We can't walk down the street holding sin in one hand and Christ in the other. It tears us in half. It is dishonoring to Him and it is destructive to us. And so the mark of the believer is that we keep repenting. You could even walk down the road of sin for a very long time, a very long way. But if God is working in you, He will bring you back to repentance. That does not mean you walk down the road of sin intentionally and say, if He wants me, He can get me. Because He has promised to forgive you. Everyone who repents, but he has not promised to give repentance to everyone who sins. We need to remember that we are in a brand new fight. We are not pretending we are great. We are not pretending we don't sin, but we are finding that we cannot get settled with sin and marry it. John's not saying, here's your test. Are you a nice person? Are you a good citizen? You're a Christian. That'll do. Come on in. No, John is saying the new life which God puts in you can never make peace with sin. It it unsettles you. You feel it. And if you come to church and you're miserable because you keep falling into various sins, then you should be thankful to God who loves you. Because he's not given you the joy of sin. He's not left you to your own devices or the ability to have peace with sin. It's a mark of his grace that we cannot settle down with our sins. Finally, you can therefore test which person belongs to Christ. Verse 7 Does a person appreciate the Savior and want to follow the Savior in all that that means? Or is there no great interest in him? And John says, if the person is appreciative of the Savior and wants to walk with the Savior, that is a sign of new life. If a person has no appreciation and no desire to follow, that's a sign that they are not reborn. But, verse 8, Jesus came to destroy the opposition. He's begun it and he will finish it. Therefore, don't be part of the opposition to him. We need to turn to him. We need to keep turning to him. Turn to him originally when we become his children, and we turn to him again and again and again and again to keep the good fellowship. So, as we said in the beginning, do you have a likeness with your parents? Do you consider that a compliment or an insult? John says, if people observe in you some likeness of God, some likeness to the Heavenly Father, a steadfast love, a patience, a kindness, a trust in Christ, that is a great encouragement. That's what he's writing about here. There's a new life which God plants in His people. It's the life Jesus died to bring us. It causes us to see Jesus, who He is, what He's done. He is the Savior, verse 4. He is the victor, verse 8. It causes us to want new godliness. It doesn't mean we are perfect. It doesn't mean we want it all the time. We still have that old nature that wants sin. But we have a new nature that seeks godliness. We're not like the Pharisees asking how can I get away with as much as I can? But we're like the believer asking, How can I be as godly as I can? It also causes us to, verse 11, to have a new love for believers. We get together with God's people, and there is this strange, deep bond in this community. You find you have something in common, and you have someone in common with the believers, and it's deep and it's forever. My friends around the world call it the, uh, the Christian passport. You can go anywhere. You flash that, and it's like you're with family. There's nothing else like it. That's why we rejoice in fellowship here. That's why we're concerned with people who just drop in and out occasionally because of the signs of life. Christ is great. We want to walk with him. We love His people. Remember you are a child of God. Remember you are called what you are called to, a departure from sin, called to a righteousness, a godliness, imitating Him. These are great reminders for us today, this week, forever. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful that you give us any marks at all that show us we are your children. And yet you've done it in abundance. Here are just a few which John has showed us. We could be people who feel so unloved by this world, by the people who should have loved us, And yet you have showed us perfectly that you love us in the sending of your Son. And you've given us a a new birth that we can look at the world with new eyes, with greater appreciation for the things from above, and with a proper understanding of the things that are here that our destination is secure, that we know where we're going, that that is our true home, which we were created for, destined for, and that we don't have to feel like the, we need the cares of the world. We, we know that the world will not recognize us and that you've called us to a transformed life, that we are changed people and that out of that change we can reflect that character of God. Not perfectly. We're not sinless. But we also cannot walk hand in hand in love with sin and in love with Christ. So we put to death those things that are pulling us down and dragging us back down to this earth and we remember the things above. We remember Christ and what He has done. We write His words on our heart and we believe them and we trust them. And we walk out into this world with confidence and assurance and a new goal and a new identity that comes only from You. Oh, Father, help us to remember these things. For we pray them in Christ's name. Amen.